Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Failure Peace Theater, your movie podcast for discussions of Hollywood's cinematic disasters, the trash fires that somehow still made it to screens and people maybe saw. Um, in this case, uh, we are talking about Ghost in the Shell, not the classic 1995 anime, but the 2017 Scarlett Johansson-led remake. Uh, joining me, yeah. as always, is <laughs> Catherine, and I'm your amiable co-host, Tim. So uh, we're going to, I guess we should talk a little bit about Ghost in the Shell and what Ghost in the Shell is, um, and its important place in, I would say, the, the, the science fiction genre, mm -hmm. um, because much like Akira before it, I mean, really, I think if you look at the progression of sort of sci-fi anime, You've you've got a, a long line, right? There are many, you know, all the way up from you know, Astro Boy through, you know, Battleship Yamato to you know, or Star Blazers, as it was known in the U.S. You have a long tradition of science fiction anime properties coming to the states and then being highly influential. But it, it, I think it's it's hard to overstate how important Ghost in the Shell was, mostly because of the vector it provided to a couple of young, rambunctious filmmakers, the Wachowskis. Mm -hmm. um, and its influences on their then bombastic success known as The Matrix are pretty obvious. Um, a, lot of, a lot of visuals that you could even sort of translate one-to-one. -one. But uh, yeah, it's, it's one of those landmark anime properties that has circulated around Hollywood for literal years there were projects trying to get this off the ground but um it, it never really materialized until about 2014 2015 you know finally dreamworks which had gotten into gotten into bed with the um the the, the ghost in the shell parrot company which i, I don't remember if shang it was shanghai film group produced the film but like basically they they I mean, dreamworks co-released one of the ghost in the shell movies over here one of the animated ones. And so they, they sort of were like, Hey, we'll, we'll help you make a live action one. And they, they move forward finally. But yeah, so I mean like, what's, you know, what's your ghost in the shell story, right? Where, when did you come across it? Um, all of my friends, uh, forced me to watch it when I was about I mean, 14, 15. And yeah, I, it's it's definitely one of those things that it's had a, a much larger impact than you might think. Because, um, you know, anime gets dismissed as kid stuff fairly often because that's just how animated films used to be, especially before um, kind of the streaming media revolution and um, anime was just kind of tossed aside. But... But yeah, I, I definitely remember the the craze surrounding Ghost in the Shell. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was. I mean, the animation was was fairly groundbreaking at the time. The story itself was a synthesis of a lot of things that had really been building in science fiction since Blade Runner. It it Ghost in the Shell two was influenced by its forebears. You know, um, it, it very much falls into that cyberpunk aesthetic that Blade Runner kicked off and then, you know, William Gibson and writers of the 1980s continued to sort of form. 
And it and, it, and, it has you know. to be said, I do not watch anime. I just don't. Um, yes, you are I not have, an anime person. I have yeah. tried. Well, I have been made to try many times. It's just not, it's not for me. So whereas a lot of people have, you know, very strong associations with Ghost in the Shell, I don't. Um, I enjoyed it, uh, but I I don't point at any one work in animation and say like, oh, this is the best. Because overall, like, I, I just don't have that response to them. However, Ghost in the Shell is, is very important. And it's one of those things where objectively I can kind of step back and say, yeah, this was a big deal and I can see why, even though it's not my thing at all. Sure. And, and I think that's important to state, you know, kind of early on, like, and, and I would, I would say I'm a little bit more into anime than you. Yes. Um, although I, I too am not like, a, a like, I find it very hard to watch entire series of anime. I, I just find them wearisome at a certain point. There's so much repetition. There's so much sort of circling the drain story wise. The, the, you know, because you know, anime was was born from manga properties. Manga properties are these like insane, single person directed. It's just you know, I mean, if you look at something like One Piece that's been running for I don't know a thousand years or something, it's just it's like it's just I as can't ridiculous as comic books. Yeah, I mean, you know, that's the closest equivalent. For, and th- for me, I guess it's the, the animation is what I've always struggled with. I don't mm. I, i'm sure. not drawn to that style so i think that that has a a lot to do with its appeal like you if you're drawn to that art style you're you're going to enjoy it i'm just not um mm-hmm. however i do like feature films that are anime more than i like series like i can't i cannot watch a series um that's just it is never proven to work, uh, but I do like feature films. Like I liked Akira, didn't everybody? Um, uh, yeah, totally. You know, I've seen Ninja Scroll, I've seen Ghost in the Shell, I've I've seen you know the important ones, um, mm-hmm. but that's about where it ends with me. Yeah, and I, I, a lot of it, I think, is just the way those stories get told, is is very unique and very sort of wrapped around Japanese culture in in really fascinating ways. And especially, you know, this film caused, and it, I don't want to get too much into it because my like animation background is is the same. I mean, I came out of the toy animation of the 1980s, right? Like He-Man, you know, all of the terrible garbage stuff <laughs> that was just selling toys to children. But one of the properties of the 1980s that I fell in love with, and I only actually saw in, in just tiny glimpses, was Robotech. Um, the original release of the Macross yeah. series here in the United States, redone by Harmony Gold. Yeah. And we did not have, you know, cable or sadly, you know, we didn't have any of that stuff when we were growing up. We just had like over the air TV. And so none of the channels that we had aired the Robotech series. It was like on some weird one in our area. But I got some glimpses of it at like friends' houses and things and was immediately like, oh, this is cool. We got transforming, you know, planes that transform into robots, robots that transform into planes. You know, I remember it it appealed to that Transformers stuff. Yeah. Like I remember the, well, do you remember love the, the big super cut movie that uh, was available in the United States? I've seen that several times. My favorite anime property of all time is Unico in the Island of Magic, which (laughs) is a Sanrio gig. So, um, 
you know, take that as you will. (laughs) That's my favorite. I mean, and there were lots of properties that sort of came from Japan and then were kind of, you know, reinterpreted. That's what Robotech was. I mean, Robotech, the American version of that is pretty starkly different from how the Macross saga plays out in the original Japanese version. Um, and, and so much so that they're basically released independently. Like there's Robotech and then there's Macross. And even if they're both, you know, English dubbed or whatever, they're different stories. Yeah. And so, um, you know, I, I read the books and I had the art book for Robotech. That's really mm-hmm. how I interacted with that property. Uh, I still have the art book. It's, it's literally right next to my desk right now. And so that was, you know, in the anime style, as I was learning how to draw and becoming an artist myself, I obviously was influenced by it. I practiced to those characters and things. So, so, I mean, that's kind of like where anime entered, you know, my realm. And then, you know, as I, I grew, I discovered other things, Akira, Ghost in the Shell eventually, although I was, I was, I think I was even later than you to Ghost in the Shell. I think you watched it with your friends before I saw it. We ran Um, in, in similar circles and I'm quite a bit younger yeah, that's um, I think you're right. And, and so I would have seen it either around the same time or a little bit after because I would have been married by then or pretty yeah. close to it. And and so I was just not consuming as much media. When, and point. arguably the early 2000s was kind of a big push forward for anime popularity mm-hmm. in the United States, Tsunami, um, especially. Baby. Yeah, especially in terms of what was available to view both over satellite with Toonami and uh, DVDs. Right. Um, yeah. The the beginning of like mass DVD distribution. That, I mean, I had never, you just didn't see like VHS copies of, of anime. Like I said, the, the first and, and only experience I had was a very, very weird one-off, badly dubbed Sanrio VHS that was at RJ's in Murfreesboro. And... I didn't see anything else until the early 2000s when all of those things just showed up on, you know, shelves everywhere. You could buy anime in Walmart, which was ridiculous. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I remember the only anime I had on VHS was uh, Gundam Wing. Yeah. I was very into Gundam Wing. Still, still kind of You like big robots? I love the big robots. That's kind of what I come for. You know, that's why I show up to these things. I like unicorns. Um, Arguably, if this movie had more unicorns, I might be way more into it. You never know. Sure. I mean, a good unicorn never hurts, right? I mean, even Harry Potter figured that out. You just got to throw yeah. a unicorn in there, man. People so, I mean, as as a sort of, you know, I would say casual plus appreciator of anime, right? Like, I like a good series if I can find it. I love Trigun, you know, that kind of stuff. Like, um, you know, there, there are certainly those properties out there that I do really enjoy, but they tend to be more focused and kind of like, this is the story we're telling. We're going to tell it over this many episodes and then we're done. Like I'm going through death note with my daughter right now. She was very interested in that one. So we were watching that together. And I mean, it's like 30 something episodes, I guess, which isn't like egregious, but even that I'm like, there's just so many episodes that circle the drain. Like just nothing yeah. happens. You know, it's like four conversations for 25 minutes. That's, um, that is one of my biggest issues with, with series is that I don't feel like they move forward fast enough or, or mm-hmm. at a reasonable pace. Um, right. And, and that, I just a lot of that has to do it. Right. And a lot of that has to do with just how, how Japanese drama works. Yeah. Right. Like their expectations well, about how those things work are, are very different. At the same time, though, I love Japanese movies. 
like live action movies, I'm all over oh, it. Sure. If they were if it's live action, it comes from Japan, I'm about it. I'm into it. Um for some reason it's it's the combination of of that with animation and as particularly the style of animation is just not I don't know, it just doesn't work. Mm -hmm. <laughs> not for me. So in saying all of that, Ghost in the Shell released in 1995, you know, the the Oshi directed you know, OVA, original video animation. It was a pretty groundbreaking thing, both in terms of its mm -hmm. of its animation style and and a lot of the effects they were using. It it sort of had an, a a second Akira effect because Akira was one of the first anime to ever be produced with full twenty four frame a second animation, which is why that movie looks so good, right? You know, most animation is is made on twos, so basically you're getting twelve frames a second, so you know you can see. The, the sort of subtle lack of detail, but you know, Akira and and I believe Ghost in the Shell as well are, are full 24 frame per second animation. So they look really good. And then, you know, again, being this sort of culmination of a lot of cyberpunk ideologies and philosophies, Ghost in the Shell also has this really, you know, well-realized future world that, you know, kind of has this, this cool um, sort of highly corporate oppressive quality. Again, very Blade Runner-esque in its own way, but it sort of puts its own stamp on it. But at the core of it, and one of the things that, you know, I looked through the reviews of, of this and really the consensus came down to, it sort of lacks the philosophical prowess of ghost in the shell, which I, I think we can debate a little bit, but it, the people's biggest problem with this film is that it is boring. Yeah. <laughs> it's just not a very exciting movie. And for a property that seems sort of, ready-made to be an exciting action property given the, the the anime itself which again the anime is also very slow it's very talky you know there's there's not constant action but it has a sort of rhythmic quality to it that keeps it sort of moving forward and this film doesn't really capture that but so i guess the the basic story of ghost in the shell is one that is highly familiar to anyone who has consumed science fiction media in the last 30 years 40 yeah. years even Right. That's also part of the problem. Right. I, I'm going to start calling this the John Carter problem because this is exactly what happened to John Carter as well, which is a film that I, I want to do a co an episode of. But I feel like it's going to be just a monster of an episode if we do it. That movie's um, long, it, isn't it? It is very long. It has like oh. it's like four movies, man. Oh. Like it is huge. It's it's much better than people give it credit for. There is nothing wrong with John Carter. That was a failure of the studio to publish it, but it was also this, it, what I'm going to call the John Carter problem. John Carter, based on a series of literally like pillars of the sci-fi fantasy genre, the, the John Carter of Mars books or the Princess of Mars books, right? These are, I mean, these are the books, all of the people who are making movies in the 1950s, 60s, and 70s that you love. Steven Spielberg, George Lucas, Francis Ford Coppola, like everybody read John Carter and they all ripped it off. Every single one of them ripped it off. They took ideas from those books and they shoved them in their own shit. And, and that's what happens. And that's good. But the problem is, is that Disney then said, hey, you know what are some awesome books? It's John <laughs> Carter books. And we have the rights. Why don't we make a movie of John Carter? And then people either looked at it from a distance or went and saw it and said, I've seen all this shit before. Yeah. And I think that's exactly what happened with Ghost in the Shell. The studio didn't really know how to market it other than, hey, Scarlett Johansson in cool sci-fi bodysuit. 
but then in looking at like, what is this movie about? This is a movie that you have seen before mm-hmm. because it's about what is, you know, what does it mean? What is human consciousness? This, what does it mean to be human? How do you add technology to that and still stay human? This like, film is meh. the worst example of cyberpunk pastiche. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, because it takes all of the things <laughs> that you have seen before but instead of, you know, taking them apart and reassembling them into something new, it doesn't do that. It just sort of leaves it all as this mushy pile of cyberpunk. Um, not much differentiation, not much reinvention, just kind of, <laughs> oh, okay. I mean, it's worth noting that this is the, this is the stock Ghost in the Shell story save for three or four changes. And those three or four changes don't really make sense as to why they changed them. You know, I, I would, I did not go into this just wanting ghost in the shell in live action form. That's mostly what I got. Honestly, they do change some key points. And and so I guess we'll, we'll hit the story in brief, but again, as I go through it, you're going to be like, yeah, I've seen that before Mm -hmm. because it's been ripped off endlessly Mm -hmm. by the Wachowskis by, well, I mean, I mean, there's just a litany of people in there in the, the aughts to tens that that have ripped off ghost in the shell in various yeah. ways um you know a lot which, of them that sort of mid-tier sci-fi stuff but which is so. why it's it's so important to to reiterate that like i absolutely see why the anime was so important but yet mm-hmm. this movie takes that importance and just kind of mangles it a little bit like it's just it's like putting all of it through a meat grinder <laughs> Yeah, I mean, and and that's what basically has happened is that the whole film. We're seeing a reinterpretation of a thing that has already been reinterpreted. A bunch of times, right? So, I mean, some other ones off the top of my head, and and it's not that necessarily all of these were super successful either, but. uh, Aeon Flux, both the Mm -hmm. anime property and the film, huge ripoffs of Ghosts in the Shell. Um, quite, quite frankly, um, the Alice character in the Resident Evil movies is basically a major ripoff. Um, she's not cybernetic, but she has like, you know, enhanced bio power, whatever. Like, I don't even want to get into those movies, but like, but just visually that character is like completely ripped off from ghost in the shell. Obviously Trinity, Trinity from the matrix. You could make an argument about like the underworld movies, that aesthetic, you know, sort of you know, getting basically we've seen all that. We just see, we've seen all this stuff. <laughs> That's the problem. Yeah. And so the, so the story of ghost in the shell is that we have a, a character who is, is generally referred to as the major. Uh, this film gives her a different name, Mira Killian, which I have many things to say about all okay. of these choices. Um, yeah. Uh, in the original, her name is uh, what, Kusanagi. Motoko. 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 Yeah. Kusanagi. Motoko Kusanagi. Um, and it's, uh, you know, but she's, she's generally just called Major, right? And she is a cybernetic human. Uh, the first or, or one of the first humans, human brains to be successfully melded to a completely cybernetic body. Because we're in the far-flung future and everybody is cyber-enhanced, right? Lots of people have cybernetic parts, but there are very few people who are full-on cyborgs, right? And so 
Um, she works for Section 9, which is this sort of secretive government agency that sort of monitors cybernetic activity and enhancement. And she works with a partner named Bateau, or Batu, I guess. I think they refer to it as Batu in this this version. Um, and, and, you know, anime stuff happens, right? Fights, chases, uh, she has an invisibility suit. You know, there's just, there's cool stuff. Um, but I mean, that's basically it. And and there is a ton of Ghost in the Shell, right? We, we're going to focus mostly on just the original Ghost in the Shell anime, but Ghost in the Shell is, is quite literally one of the largest properties in Japanese manga and, and animation. And so there have been like three movies, like a TV series called Standalone Complex, um, video games. Like there's just, there's tons of Ghost in the Shell stuff out there. So yeah. this movie kind of piecemeals a couple of different things from other Ghost in the Shell properties. That's like a good the, word for it. <laughs> Piecemeal. So I, I was I was talking about this last night with uh, Jarrett from Wild Pretty Things, um, and, and and he he said this, and I think it's probably the best assessment. This is another example of a studio funded fan film, mm-hmm. right? He's like, I would. This is he's like, this is the movie you make when you're like a a special effects artist trying to make like to make it into Hollywood. And so, like, on your YouTube channel, you do, like, here's seven of the coolest scenes from Ghost in the Shell, but with real people and special effects. But they just gave those people $100 million when, and turned and it into a feature film. That actually highlights one of my biggest problems with movies like this, which is seeing animated films as blueprints for live-action movies in the future. Which is exactly what this is. And that's... Not only is that just a bad take in general... It's it's dismissive of the fact that an animated film can have just as much gravitas as a live action film. There's nothing that stops it from being that significant, from being that important. It doesn't have to be made into live action. Um, it's been really sad for me to see, you know, for example, Disney go down that route where they're they're going back and making all of their films live action why <laughs> like you don't need to mm-hmm. it was already fine as an animated film and it was iconic as an animated film and it, you don't it, it just it doesn't need it i mean this this is definitely a case of didn't didn't need it didn't need to happen right um especially in in this way right like cuz really by just retelling the original story of the anime with these like strange changes you're not moving anything forward, right? Like it would almost be better to say, and against Hollywood studio would never do this because they don't trust audiences to know anything when they walk into the theater or have any ability to sort of figure stuff out as they go as evidenced by the opening text crawl in, in this film, where they just sort of like, okay, we're in the future. There's cybernetics. There's this corporation and this, like they just lay everything out for you because you certainly couldn't figure out the corporation bad cybernetics don't know right and then here's the stuff but you know i would almost have in this particular case given the the iconic nature of the source material it almost would have been better to just sort of maybe i mean if you just had to get the story in there you know and i don't generally refer to this film positively but sort of rob zombie it (laughs) and 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 do like what he did at the end of his dumbass halloween remake and just like pack the whole movie into like 20 minutes (laughs) Like just hmm. redo Halloween in twenty minutes. It was like will be take, the you know, only time that we kindly refer to uh, yeah. Rob Zombie's filmmaking. 
I know that 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 Halloween remake has its apologists. I did not care for it uh, in the slightest, but that's that's okay. Like you said, it, Halloween is beloved by many people in all of its forms, and uh, you know, as long as people keep paying for John Carpenter to smoke weed, play basketball, and and uh, enjoy his Xbox, I'm I'm good with it, right? So keep remaking his films. I I don't, I'll, I may not see them, but I'm glad they exist. Uh, if only so John Carpenter can keep doing badass rock concerts. <laughs> <laughs> whatever it is he wants to do these days. But so this film is, is, is a big budget fan film and most of the scenes in it that are going to be cool. And the ones that I really love are ones that are just basically shot for shot remakes of things from the animation. And they are like the opening. Mm-hmm. I love the opening as, as her body is being assembled um, because it's, it's the opening of the anime. Like it's the same, right? mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like literally shot for shot, the same thing. But with, you know, super high production values, which I guess is the thing, you know, the basics of this story are that the major is attempting to hunt down in in the original animation. He was just called the puppet master. He's like hand wavily referred to as that. He's he's referred to by the name Kuze here, who and I mean, again, uh, it's been a while, but I'm thinking he was a different villain that came in later. I don't think he was the puppet master. He may have been. It, it doesn't really matter um, in this movie. Kuze and the Puppet Master are the same. And the Puppet Master is attempting to expose that Hanka Robotics, the, the sort of biggest purveyor of these cybernetic enhancements, is corrupt. There's there's something wrong with them. And, and they have done bad things. Which again, this is a corporation in the 90s, so of course they're evil. Like, that's just what all corporations were. I myself have found it difficult to work for corporations because I spent the entirety of my teenage years being constantly told how terrible corporations were Mm -hmm. and i mean and and they're not wrong right like that's the other piece here there's there's truth to it um but so honker robotics is bad and and the major is attempting to sort of like figure this this mystery out of who this puppet master is i think this movie sort of epically fails at both the setup and the payoff of all of that stuff because it tries to take a much more sort of personal bent to it but in any case so the story is is sort of a nothing burger in terms of what happens like and I think that's why this movie lacks any kind of propulsion is that there's no real I mean there's a thread that you can follow of actions right there's like beats that are sort of like loosely stitched together but there is absolutely no narrative thrust to this film at all and I think that's because they're grabbing ideas piecemeal from all over the series instead well, of really thinking about a unified single story that I had this weird moment um where I, I stopped and I was like man this movie's got a long intro. Feels like it's just taken a long time to get started. I wonder when the movie's really gonna start. And then I I hovered over to see the the time stamp, and I was forty minutes in. <laughs> so I was like, oh, this is the movie. It is started. Yeah, nope. Oh, <laughs> it has it has begun. And and it's it's worth saying that this is actually a this is a pretty short film. Right. Which it, it to me is evidence of the fact that the studio was like, oh, this is bad because most studios at the very minimum, they want that sort of two hour runtime at this point so that they can very clearly stack and predict show times. Yeah. Um, and this movie is like just a little over 100 minutes, which is it's a well, long hundred minutes. But it yeah, it, it feels long, even though it's it's relatively short in your sort of blockbuster movie terms. So the director of this, uh, Rupert Sanders, I think. Um, Not done much. No, he he made that movie, that Huntsman movie, Mm -hmm. the Snow White movie with Kirsten Stewart. Uh 
that which was a whole other like gossip column Ugh. thing is they got together he broke up with his wife bad deals i got into whatever but that huntsman movie for some reason i'm guessing because of twilight and the twilight fandom just needing more chris kirsten stewart in their live or kristen stewart that movie blew up and did like crazy box office numbers and no one expected it and i mean it was fine it was early chris hemsworth got a lot of people excited um, cause the war was kind of hitting at the same time. So people were like, Hey, that Chris Hemsworth guy. And then it had, you know, Stuart from twilight and then Charlize, you know, so I mean, it, it had like, you know, a thing going on, but that movie made like a billion dollars, which I have no idea how that happened. But so then he got, he was in sort of development hell on a bunch of different projects. And then he jumped onto this. He's one of those directors that I look at and go like, what, what is your style like <laughs> who what, are you what are you what are Why you trying are you to accomplish really? <laughs> here and it just he feel he just feels like a very workmanlike work for hire director which i generally respect like i'm generally like that's that's good you know it's you're rough just you're good. with cyberpunk to be that though because that's a style right. that can steamroll over your individual you know touches as a director if you're not yeah. careful um and this you can get you can get out production designed yeah right? like and I, the production design takes over i think that this movie definitely steamrolled any sort of style he might have had i don't know if he has any but i didn't see any here um i saw a lot of very pretty 3d renders of of the anime <laughs> i mean that's mm-hmm. that's what i saw Yes. Um, I mean, one of the universal, one of the universal, you know, bits of praise for this film was its production design. It looks yeah. very good. Yeah. The vast majority of the special effects and, and visual effects work were done by uh, Weta, from what I understand, especially the practical stuff. There is a remarkable amount of practical effects work in this film, which is great. Um, you know, the the robot geishas at the beginning. Uh, yeah, that looks really cool. That's really cool. I mean, and all of in, that was like practical uh, well, stuff. The, that geisha thing that wasn't in the first movie, though. No, no. Um, that that was some... But it was neat. <laughs> it was neat. You know, that was a cool extension of, you know, that kind of universe. And, and it looked good. Um, the, there is Major's, uh, I guess, skin suit, which I think the film just completely does a terrible job of articulating, like, what is Major's how does major's body work? Right. Which I think is, is so the, this movie stars Scarlett Johansson, right? If you didn't know that, that's, that's the reason it, it finally got made is because of Scar Joe. Like it, that, that's why it exists and you can have for good and for bad. I have she was a very big deal to say. So let's talk about the Scar Joe issue. Um, so one of the things I, I was going to bring up earlier, but I, you know, we're, I guess we can just talk about it now is that there were a lot of people who were very upset that Scarlett Johansson was cast as the major. I am also um, upset about that. But I have and different reasons. I have, I have an explanation at least. Sure, and and you know we will we will explicate the the reason why in popular sort of media she was people were problematic is because you know this is a She's Japanese white. property, and and major is. She's. She's a well. She's a robot. Number yeah. one, right? So she's she's a manufactured thing. But here's here's the thing. If you're going to cast a white woman to play Motoko or whatever the fuck you want to call her, I don't care. Change your name if you want to. If you're going to cast a white woman, then maybe go back and rethink 
all of the Asian styling and the Hong Kong big city and the Japanese and Chinese and Asian cultures that you just wholesale rip off for your glorious production design and maybe think about casting some, you know, Asian people. <laughs> that would like mm-hmm. that doesn't seem revolutionary to me, but I uh, 2017 right. this movie is made. And this film it it does have a, a good share of very Asian characters. Um, obviously, Aramaki, the leader of Section Nine, is played here by uh, Takeshi Kitano. Who doesn't in, know in where a he is? Small role. <laughs> um, he's obviously it's his first English language film since Johnny Mnemonic, <laughs> which I think is telling. Um, <sighs> but now it's also worth noting that he does not really speak English in this. He is allowed to speak Japanese, he, which I think is cool. Um, he really I think, looked like he was just waiting for the craft services table. Just like, <laughs> I, I saw sandwiches on that thing. I can't wait until they say cut and I can just go over there and go nuts. He just he, he looked completely disengaged. He is. Yeah. I mean, he's 70 years old at this point. Yeah. Um, he's 75 now. And, and I'm sure that this was a paycheck film. Uh, it may have even been one of those ones where his grandkids were like, hey, grandpa, yeah, do Ghost in the Shell. Ghost in the Shell's cool. Who knows? Um, I'm glad to see him in it. And he does have like his moment, so to speak. Um, but it's. It made me kind of sad to see sure. him kind of. I don't know, relegated to that, because I, I guess I should say, like. I love beat Takeshi. I love all of his movies. One of the first like Japanese movies I ever saw was Hanabi and I loved it. He he yep. killed a guy with a chopstick, just like slammed his face right down on top. It was the fucking coolest thing I've ever seen in my life. Sonat- Sonatine and Hanabi are, are two of the greatest like, you know, Japanese gangster so, stories. So great. So great. And so it's I, I I mean, of course, it's great that he's in the movie, but at the same time, it was it kind of felt wasted a little bit. It didn't look like well, he was very invested in it either. This is a film where I, I believe pretty much all of the Section 9 stuff is on the floor because we get introduced yeah. to a bunch of characters in Section 9. And not just like hand wavily introduced, like things that seem to be set up for future payoff. And then they, those characters just literally disappear from the film. And it, it definitely feels like there was a lot more of that, that there was a more complicated mystery or series of mysteries that they were mm-hmm. trying to solve. And, and this, all of that got excised for one reason or another. I'm imagining budget and time, like to save money, they just excise those scenes so that they didn't have to do special effects or, or whatever. And it's and you can just kind of feel it. This movie feels like it had much larger ideas that it was trying to play with. And then it all just got dropped, which happens. And and sometimes movies are better when that happens. In this case, I don't think that it was. I think this is in the movie because the one of the main things it got maligned for was that it, you know, the philosophy behind Ghost in the Shell, which we can basically say is transhumanist. Right. It's, it's exploring what it means to move beyond being human. Um, most of that stuff just doesn't get explored and, you know, we've got a character in it, you know, we get to see, you know, Batu getting his cybernetic eyes at a certain point and how that changes him. Then obviously we have the the central character of the major who is, uh, you know, a human woman inserted into a completely mechanical body and, and struggling with what that means, you know, 
is she alive? Is she human? Is she not? But it's it's all kind of backgrounded. Yeah, and we don't spend much time exploring any of those ideas. We basically get Juliette Binoche being, you know, cyber mom and being like, you know, oh no, we you're a great person. You're a you are human. You know, like that's that's really all we get. And then, you know, Scarjo staring into corners. Hunching <laughs> you know? over. So let's let's talk about Scarlett Johansson. So the the, the character she plays, Major Killian, is is she's been. I mean, we see her creation, but then we flash forward a year. So theoretically, she has been in her body working for Section Nine, being a super assassin or whatever for a while, and yet we still see her struggling with her place in the world and who is she. Which again is fine. It's not to say that you would have all that stuff dealt with in a year or anything. Johansson is making some very specific choices about how to play this character. I am a robot. So I am talking like a robot. <laughs> yeah. So let's, let's look at our famous cyborgs, right? What do we got? We've got Schwarzenegger as Terminator, right? Uh, we've got Robert Patrick as the later revision of the T-1000, but still basically in that same mold. Um, There are a lot of like cyborg characters in modern film and I don't want to spend time going through all of them. It's, it's fine. But Johansson has made some very specific choices here to play Killian as sort of neurologically dulled. I mean, that's, that's almost, that's just the only way I can describe it. It seems like she's just, she's still emoting in human ways, but she's chosen to try and dial that down. Like, whereas a normal person would be at like a seven She's running at like a 1.5. And, and and this is maybe overly harsh on her, maybe because I was hoping, expecting, hoping for more of a, a Rachel performance. You know, somebody who's a mm-hmm. robot who doesn't want to be, maybe. Sure. Um, and we don't get that. <laughs> Like at all. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the other piece is that, you know, we've got the Blade Runner component here, you know, yeah. but but, um, you know, I'm sorry, you go for the you go for the king, you go for Blade Runner. You've got a lot to live up to because Rutger Hauer's performance as Roy mm-hmm. Batty is is a perfect encapsulation of the warring humanity and inhumanity inside of an individual. Right. He's cold. He's calculating. He's stoic. But at the same time, he's emotive and brutal. And, you know, it's it's a very difficult line to walk. And unfortunately, yeah. I think that ScarJo's approach here is too reserved. Now, my my theory about this, because and I know we will differ on this and that is fine. I mm-hmm. don't think Scarlett Johansson is a is a bad actress. I think she's capable of very good things. You watch Under the Skin. You watch um, even some of her work in the Marvel films when she gets a chance to do anything interesting is good here. This feels, especially at the the early part of the film, like there was a plan in place at some point or at some time to have her grow and become more emotionally capable as time advanced in the film. Like, because there there are some scenes at the end, you know, at, at the end she fights a big tank, uh, which is out of the anime. So it's it's a very cool action mm-hmm. scene. The spider um, tank. The spider tank. And, and there are moments in that where she's going bigger, like much bigger and feeling and expressing much more. 
to to execute that kind of slow and gradual change in demeanor and behavior over the course of a two-hour film, you have to have very specific control of the scenes and sequences. And I don't think they had that control. And so instead what we get is, in essence, a block of wood for about 75 minutes Mm -hmm. and then a slightly more emotive block of wood for the last 20. And I don't hate it. Right. One of the things I do like about it and and I noticed right off the bat is her physical movement. And and there's there's a lot of walking in this like she is walking around a bunch and she has this like really deliberate kind of shoulders pushed forward <laughs> that if, if you look at it, you might just say, oh, she's doing a tough walk. Right. Like she's doing a, I'm a tough person, walk, you know, like that kind of thing. But I think what the goal was, was to have her, was to try and communicate how heavy she is. Because one thing that, that gets mentioned about Major is that her, her cybernetic body is, is quite heavy. Um, and like almost to the point that I feel like they're trying to show that physically moving for her is, is, a, is effort, right? Like she, it requires effort for her body to to locomotive to to move to look you know to mo- be motivated through the world and and so I kind of like that especially because she's walking next to you know Pilau Azbek as as Batu who is this he's a big dude right like he's a massive guy and so she kind of is trying to hang with him I guess and and so I, I like some of the physical components the problem with the film though is that when they go to the wirework CG double version of major, she just floats. And so they, they kind of un whatever Johansson might've been trying to do with her physical performance, the, the special, the visual effects of the film completely undo because she's flipping off of walls and she's leaping and, and there's no, and there's literally no weight to what that character is doing on screen. Like when she runs against a wall, you'll see the wall like push in, you know, like she's compressing it when she hits it with her foot like that happens. That's it. Like all the other yeah. visual representation of her makes her seem like she's this, you know, low, like a butterfly sting like a bee kind of thing. It's like, it's like are, OK, so does she weigh a thousand pounds or does she weigh 10 pounds? Which is it? And, and you know, so again, it just feels like a movie that had ideas and then either because of removals of ideas from the script or screenplay or because of like stuff that just didn't make it through to the final edit. We wind up with this like very confused visual and, and emotional performance. And I, that I could, could be agree very with powerful. that. I, I actually don't hate Scarlett Johansson. She is an actress that is good in the hands of a good director because she sure. will act the scene the way that it's requested if that makes sense. And like, that sounds like I'm, I'm, I'm insulting her, but I'm not, we need those kind of actors. Um, Mm -hmm. however, that means that they don't bring anything to a performance without a director. That's like pulling it out of them or, or working with them or guiding them. So maybe this is more a comment on Sanders than anything, but I thought it was just awkward. Just, very awkward and if that's what she was trying to do with the body movement it didn't come across that way it it just seemed very strange and stilted and funny like i i found myself laughing at 
scenes that I know are not supposed to be funny. <laughs> right. Yeah. There's, there's a fair bit of that in this film. Like there's a scene where somebody's filming and going like, Oh, this is going to be awesome. And then it's just, not, it's no, not awesome. This is not cool. Um, so, I mean, I don't want to move too much past the, the whitewashing discussion. Yeah. Um, you know, cause I think that does bear it, it. That became the, the media story around the release of this film. Well, which, I also kind of know. hate how they excused it by mm-hmm. going to the director of the original anime and, and saying, do you have a problem with it? And, and of course he he's didn't, like, no. he didn't. No. But the fact is, I, I don't, I don't see the film as being racist per se. Like I'm not going to go out and on a limb and say no. that, No. but this, this is a missed opportunity. Mm-hmm. Where this would have been much more nuanced, this would have been much more interesting if we had chosen any one of the talented, intelligent, successful Asian American actresses presently working who need more work and need to be on screen and need to be in leading roles. Mm-hmm. Um and, and, and physical I, action roles. And physical yeah. action roles. I, I can just think of so many women who would have done a better job because they are the type of actresses who bring more to a role than Scarlett Johansson does. Right. Um, and even an unknown, right? Giving giving like yeah. a, you know, a, a sort of like mid-tier martial arts, you know, master from from current Japanese cinema and like bringing them over and letting them have and lead this film. You know, it, and I, I, and I, I do really have a problem with using all of those cool Asian things like, you know, the geisha robot and, you know, those those very Hong Kong inspired city shots with all of the neon lights and using, you know, Japanese language everywhere and casting other Asian actors and not making the lead an Asian woman that just feels weird and and it it honestly did the movie the whole movie a disservice because the whole time like i'm looking at the way they did her hair the way that they style her and it's like you know why didn't you just hire an asian lady to do this that would have been so much easier and so much better but again you know they they think that it has to do with star power and and that's that's also kind of ignorant because that's that's clearly not what made Ghost in the Shell successful the first time. You know, the movie didn't have any star power. It's just an anime movie. Yeah, right. um, yeah it doesn't have a name to attach to it. You know, but the realities of Hollywood filmmaking is that most movies like this that require a budget, they're not going to get made unless they've got recognizable bankable stars. And frankly, the only recognizable bankable star in this is Scarlett Johansson. Yeah. Right. Like the rest of the cast. No, and that's probably budgetary, right? They paid ScarJo, I'm sure, a good amount of money, and and so like, what did they have left for casting? I I don't know. I, Which is a tragedy in and of itself. Looking at some of the people who were in the film, like Juliette Binoche, right. who is an amazing actress, it's great, so Just talented. Don't see her enough. Yeah. Um, you know what was she paid in comparison? Takeshi Kitano, who is a fucking legend. Mm-hmm. How much was he paid in comparison? Like, I don't know. Which, just, I mean, again, that just feels like a, a hand wavy thing to, yeah. to, to legitimize it. Yeah. Um, you and know, to, is, to try and give that, you know, I, I read a few things about this that someone suggested, you know, well in Japan, this isn't, nobody has a problem with this. 
And the, the original director of Ghost in the Shell didn't have a problem with this. But who did mm-hmm. have a problem with it were Asian Americans who were like, but you wanted to bring right. this to America and yeah. make it relevant to Americans. And then you didn't cast one of us. <laughs> like, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's more its place within American cinema. And, and at a time when people in American cinema were starting to say, like, well, why why are we making these choices and why are we doing these things when there are more obvious sort of ways that this could be handled. This film's egregious mistake. And this, this is a hardcore spoiler. If you, if you do care about ghost in the shell, it is uh, streaming on Pluto TV for free right now, if you haven't seen it. Um, so you can go check it out for free there. Um, the issue with this particular version is that they go a step further than even the animated. Yeah. And they actually make, major they identify her as a japanese woman yeah which sort of undoes that whole argument right and and so either i don't know if that was a late game change because a lot of those feel like they could be reshoots after this started to come in like the studio being like oh 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 um um maybe we could try this and it just undermines the entire thing like if you want to make the argument that major is a robot that she would have been designed to, you know, be this sort of like middle of the road, you know, could be sold anywhere in the world design. I don't know how you would want to hand wave that in a film and not still get yourself into tremendous amounts of trouble. It's like, Oh, well this is kind of like the default version. It's like, Oh, is it? So the European white woman is the default. Okay. Gotcha. Uh, Whoops. Uh, But then at the end they, they make this concentrated effort to say like, no, Major is Japanese. Like she is a Japanese woman trapped inside of this non Asian shell, right? This non Asian frame. Which and is just, so there are so many icky things that come with that suggestion of, you know, how they they're basically putting this forward as like an upgrade to a body, but then they make it a white person and it's like that's just there you yes. didn't have to do that. Like, geez. Right philosophically for a film that was as philosophically rich. And again, I I say philosophically rich because it's, you know, the original ghost in the shell by modern sort of sci-fi comparisons, it's very much like just in the same vein as Blade Runner. So, you know, I don't want to make it seem like, you know, the, the original was this like grand philosophical treatise on what it means to be human, but it was exploring those ideas. And one of the things that I think this film fails at tremendously is that it, backgrounds the entire risk of being cybernetic in this world which is that you can be hacked right that's the like the whole point of of the original you know series of of anime stories was if you don't know that somebody has rewritten your base code and they've changed who you are are you still who you are like that is one of the major sort of underpinning themes of the entirety of ghost in the shell and like the puppet master in this has the ability to overwrite humans to give them new ideas and new backstories if they have the right cybernetic enhancements. So that's a part of the film. Like the thing that gets missed is that that is the essential risk of being more cybernetic. That's kind of the conversation they're having at the beginning in the, the like eating scene with the geisha robots is, is the, the lead, the president of the African confederation or, or whatever it is, is basically saying like, but what, you know, what's the, what's the line that's going to be crossed here. Like at what point are you not a human anymore? Like, so they're trying to approach it, but then the film just sort of drops all of that thematic weight 
for what basically amounts to a, you know, shooty, shooty, bang, bangy action flick. Unfortunately, I don't think it's a good enough shooty, shooty, bang, bangy action flick to not have those things to underpin it, right? There's just not enough. You know, the, the, the big component of this that's supposed to sort of give weight to this world and weight to the human's choices, right? Like, okay, if you choose to be cybernetically enhanced, this is the risk that you're posing. This is the way in which you you may be changed that you can't control. All of that just, is, it doesn't go anywhere. And I think it needs to be there for this to work. And, you know, so, I mean, what are we, what we're looking at here now after our established, we've got a, a sort of less than compelling lead either by choice or by unfortunate editing decisions. Yeah, like it ultimately doesn't matter what made her suck in the movie. It sucks. Like the outcome is it's just not good. So we have a muddled lead. We have a muddled series of themes that that never really pay off and don't really go anywhere. So you can't even hook onto that and be like, oh, well, at least we're exploring these cool ideas. And then you have action that while... It, it basically it's the the good action in this movie is stripped directly out of the anime. It's just yeah. those scenes again. Yeah. Or or variations on them. Um you know, we get the the uh invisible fight scene in the water directly out of the anime, nearly shot for shot. The spider tank battle at the end, nearly shot for shot. Some small small variations again, just probably because of live action limitations. You know, so like the cool things that you see in this movie that are just unequivocally cool, I'm going to say 90% of the time they're called directly from the anime, which was cool as shit on its own. So, of course, yeah. it's going to be good. Right. How could it not be good if you just do something that was already good again? <laughs> like, why wouldn't it be? Um, so we're, we're just really left with this kind of muddled, messy thing. And so here's my problem. I still really like it. (laughs) That's my issue with it. I still like this movie. I've watched. Okay. I've watched this movie five times. That's a lot. Five times. Because I don't think I'll ever watch this movie again. (laughs) And I I get that. Like, I'm not recommending it at this point. But there is something about it that makes it work for me. I think a huge part of it is is, uh, Pilo Azbek as Batu. I think he's great like legitimately awesome as that character. And he's not even one of my, and he's not even a character from the anime that I like that much. Um, I don't love him in the anime, but I love Asbik's performance as him in this. I just think he's so good. And I wish he was in it more. Like that's really what it came down to. He was like, I, he's in it a lot, but I just, I really wanted him because he gets more emotional development than major does in most cases. Yeah. Cause he's got the dogs that he feeds he like you know, when he loses his eyes, he goes through this like really kind of dark period. But then he just kind of deals with it, and he's like, ah, eh, you know, I'll make it work. And it, I I don't know, I I really like him. Uh, I just think the film doesn't know how to really truly express it's what it wants to express. It's, it's just really spent, confused. Well, it's it's interesting. You know, you talked about the you know fan made movie and how it, it mm-hmm. that's what it feels like. It's as though someone made it who was a fan of the look with maybe like the subtitles turned off and didn't actually know what it was about. (laughs) Um, Because it's like if you took the look of the anime and then you just kind of disregarded everything that that made it, you know, engaging to watch and and made it cyberpunk, to be honest, Um, because it's missing all of the contemplative moments there's a lot of 
slow motion shots where I remember in the anime would would have like some voiceover of of contemplation and like characters mulling things over and thinking things out. There was just more to say. And instead with the live action film, it's just soundtrack and and no contemplation, just just visuals mm-hmm. and soundtrack. So it's it looks yeah. good. I mean, that is what's to like about this movie is that it looks good. Yes, the the production design is stellar. The effects are stellar. Well worth watching for those because they they are truly excellent. Um, but the problem is is the film unfortunately rings entirely hollow. Yeah. As a result, and and you can tell that the money was spent. And there, this movie had tremendous script problems. Uh, there were like seven or eight different writers attached to this, and it finally settled on three, which I think were mostly assembled by Aaron Kruger, who wrote the Ring movies, uh, and a bunch of Transformers movies. So mm. um, but he uh, sort of, I think, did the final assemblage of scenes that had been composed over the course of like a six year development cycle. And it, it just, it, you feel it, you feel how it's sort of like chopped up it is. And, and, you know, sort of like segmenty, like, Oh, here's the next segment of the story. Like there's a real hard cut at one point major. Um, she goes out and picks up a prostitute, I guess. Um, and and the prostitute is like pretending to be cybernetic, like she's not cybernetic, but she's got like these applications on that make her look like she is, because that's what people want. And so Major like has her take all that stuff off, and then Scarlett Johansson just touches her face for a few minutes <laughs> as she contemplates. You know, love, that was one I of guess. the scenes I laughed at. So it's like, <laughs> it's, the fuck are yeah. they doing? I mean, like I get it, yeah. I get what the scene was supposed to be oh, yeah, about, but totally. we don't have any lead up to that that explains. I don't know that people prefer that look that that's that's why she's doing that that's why she's wearing those those extra attachments and then it's never addressed again so it was just it like it never comes back it was the and film's we, intermission <laughs> and we hard cut from that to the the big like lead up to the invisible fi- you know fight scene like we just immediately <laughs> shift into that mode just bink gone and it, it's it's a hard cut. It's a weird. I mean, it, you know, it's a fine cut from a technical standpoint, but from a from a story structure standpoint, it's weird that we just like bink. We're we're off into this this now. Like we've been having this like quiet, contemplative. What does it mean? What is a face? What is touch? You know, like <laughs> like all of these like things, and then it's like action sequence. Bow, 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 bow. <clears throat> and and so as a result, it just it it. It just feels wrong. And in there, they're, again, the scenes themselves are fine. They're production designed to hell. It looks good. But at the same time, like what for what end and what are we trying to accomplish here? And that's that's ultimately the problem. Um, the, the big reveal, as we said, is that she it was Japanese and she. OK. All right. So this is another <laughs> issue I have. OK, so they they give Major this backstory, which she had a backstory in the, the anime as well, but it's it's. You know, they explored that in one of the the series because and mostly because the creator of the series was like, I just I can't get a handle on her until I kind of understand where she came from. But it's not really about like her life pre cybernetic organism. But in this one, basically what they say is. She was like a freedom fighter, <laughs> she was like a revolutionary that was attempting to upend Honka mm-hmm. Robotics and the government 
So they were attacked and killed for this this rebellion. Like they were living in like an isolated part of the city where all the rebels had to go live because you definitely want to put all your rebels together into one place so that they can band together <laughs> to a codified unit. It's the best way to deal with that if you think about it, you know. And and so they were living in like the outlaw lands or whatever they end up calling it and they get attacked and and I was like so this is the brain that you're going to put inside your like super expensive killer shooty robot is the brain of a revolutionary that loathes you and wants to see you upended from society <laughs> like yeah in 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 the best of circumstances how is that going to work out in your favor like, you know, I know they rewrite her code and, you know, all this stuff, like whatever. But it that to me was like no, no corporation would do that. I, I know they have some hand, they do some hand wavy stuff where they're like, oh, like her brain was the most compatible with the system and whatever. And it's the first one to work. Like, I, I get that. But why would that person even be on the list? Yeah. <laughs> one of the subjects. So like the thing that I guess the thing they explain is that since these were all rebels and sort of these unaccounted for people, they could just experiment on them with no consequences. Right. That's like the secret of the film is that, hey, guess what, kids, the giant corporation that's trying to make all the billions of, you know, bajillions of dollars is totally willing to sacrifice human life to get there. And it's like, I think it would have meant more, though, if those human lives were just regular human lives instead of revolutionaries because right like it, yeah that just it loses something like it it makes it less cyberpunk to set it up that way right like they should have just been people you know people just you know maybe she was a street punk or maybe she was just maybe they just kidnapped her a off the police street police officer screw it yeah <laughs> who, who cares you know yeah really, it's a robocop thing <laughs> it's robocop um it's so i mean yeah it's just it's one of those like crazy crazy additions that ends up actually undermining a lot of what they're trying to do yeah because they're obviously trying to make major more sympathetic right like oh she had this thing done to her against her will which is totally obvious from the beginning like i don't think anybody I mean, from the start when she wakes up like the you know we see her body being assembled over the credit sequence and then she wakes up and she like can't breathe and she's struggling to make her body work and she's like spasming out on the table and the doctor's like, Oh, put her back to sleep. We'll, we'll make her feel better in a minute. And it's like, so was, was there ever a moment when we weren't supposed to understand how terrifying and awful this process was? <laughs> like I, again, there's just a lot of things in the film that if, if it had a, just a little bit more thematic through line would really work, but it's the film itself is confused about what it wants to say about these things. And I guess that's extra you know? weird because the anime was not confused. Yeah. In any I mean, way. Like if you were going to make this such a visual shot for shot, just here's what you love live action. Why would you not then take the story mm-hmm. and just do that? <laughs> yeah. Cause you already it, it, had the rights. You already had the green light. Just do it. <laughs> Nobody was stopping you. I mean, apparently all the people, I mean, Oshi was like, yeah, do your thing, man. I don't give a shit. I get paid the same. Yeah. It's like, I already made you know? this. So if you want to make it live action, go right ahead. But then uh, they but didn't. Yeah, it, I, and I, I think a lot of it probably comes down to American film studio executives not understanding yeah. what is being said. Right. And, and I, I'm, 
going to be super honest. Most of the films that have tried to deal with these concepts historically have not been wild successes. Like Blade Runner was not successful. It became successful, but it was a colossal failure when it came out. Robocop did really well, but Robocop's not really about that. And somehow they got toys out of it. You know, they took it. Oh, yeah. That's like in a different way. (laughs) They took it in a different way. Like Robocop might as well have been marketed as a children's film in the 1980s. (laughs) I mean, for all of my friends, I mean, I was nine when that movie came out, eight, and I definitely saw it immediately, right? And all of my friends had seen it, and everybody was like, Robocop's the best. I'm like, dude, that movie is fucked up from top to bottom, and it's really good. It's one of my favorite movies ever, yeah, for obvious reasons, but... Yeah, I mean, well, there, why, was a, why, there was a TV series, <laughs> there were toys, like, I have the toys, the toys fired caps, <laughs> right? They had the cap firing mechanisms yeah, not only in did their they back, make so they would explode. toys out of the bad movie for kids, they made them really dangerous toys. <laughs> they were super dangerous toys. Um, I mean, oh, but there was the uh, there were Rambo toys, I mean, like, movies that were completely, anyway, yes, well before the codification of children's entertainment. It's like, well, I guess kids could watch this, right? I mean, it's a... It's a robot man. Kids love robot men, right? Star Wars and shit. I, I don't know. This is a really weird movie for me. And again, I'll say that personally, myself, I, I like it. I, I enjoy it. Um, not because it's it's especially good, but it has these moments that I really enjoy. It's got some performances that I think are pretty solid. Not necessarily ScarJo's, obviously, but I really like Pilo Asbeck. I'm, I, I just think he's a good actor and I think he's really good at this part that could have been just a throwaway. I am gruff action man and I sort would of thing. Never, and he actually brings some things to it. I would never sit in judgment of, of anyone enjoying this movie for what it is. After all, I love Ghost Rider. Like, I actually <laughs> love it. I actually love that movie. We did a whole episode about it. Did an episode I love it. it. Yeah. Um, so I... I I can see how this movie is watchable and I can see how you can be drawn to it. Absolutely. I'm, I'm going to purchase it in 4k um, because I just want to see it in, in 4k. I'm HDR. sure it's cheap. I'm yes. Oh, it's, it's like 11 bucks. On Amazon. <laughs> like it's nothing. It's like, we have all these copies. Please take them. Oh my God. <laughs> it is worth noting that there are some cool special effects too, uh, or visual effects, uh, the, the puppet master is um, kind of neat. They, he has like this weird sort of pixelized digital thing that he does um, or, or, or can can produce that look pretty cool. Um, there's just there's there's a lot in here that's pretty, pretty neat. And and was just again, it's a film that unfortunately has such good production design that it, it as we said earlier, it basically overrides everything else. Um, there is no directorial style to this because the style had to be shot to show the cool visuals in the production design. You know, like I, th- I think one of my issues with this movie is that I- I'm going to say 65 to 70 percent of the shots are, are steady cam medium from the knees up shots. Mm-hmm. Like uh, after watching it as many times as I have, like n- it's almost every scene in this movie is shot that way. And I think that contributes to part of the feeling of boredom. Like it just all looks the same. There's no, there's not enough shot variety throughout this thing, just from a very practical standpoint. And that feels because the director, they built the sets, they built the costumes, they set up the lighting. And then instead of actually the director saying like, well, here's what I need to get this shot. They had a space 
And then the director was dropped into that space with equipment and said, now get what you want. Yeah. And I just never think that's a good formula, right? Like you don't, you don't need to spend $50 million to build the, you know, set with the monks in the circle around Kuze. Like, cause you could just build like one wall of that. If you set your shot up to get what you want. Yeah. And it, this just feels more like they said, we're going to build all these cool spaces. Cause we have all this studio space and whatever. And then we'll just get in here with a steady cam and we'll shoot what we want. We have this budget. We're going to spend it. <laughs> and you know, I mean, I love films that have great production design. I mean, we talked about Alien 3 last week, and that's another film that has really great production design and good spaces. But look what happened. But, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, but David Fincher was was dropped into that, and I think a lot of that movie just doesn't necessarily work super well as a yeah. result because he's just shooting to the space instead of making the space to fit what the, he wants from a visual standpoint. And I wonder and what, a, I what a better director, a more forceful director, would have done with material like this. Yeah, for or for sure. Yeah, I would be very interested to see this material in the hands of someone other than Rupert Sanders. You said Rupert. I mean, the the film looks good, but I don't think that had much to do with Rupert Sanders. Yeah, I think it had a lot to do with like hiring some really good production design. Team. It was the four thousand other people know. in the credits? <laughs> and I mean, I know the director has to assemble all that stuff, but again, I mean, just there's not there's no there's no joie de vivre to this <laughs> thing, right? There's like nothing. It's just. I mean, and again, I think that's why there are pieces of the film that work so well is because they're just copying the original animation, which had that, right? It had that style. It just oozed style. And so if you just ape an already existing style that looks really good, your your film's going to be slightly, I mean, it's going to be at least a quarter as good, right? Yeah. Just by the nature of stealing, right? (laughs) Just because of theft. And so it's... It's a weird film for me, and that's kind of why I wanted to talk about it. I, I I knew you would bring a very interesting perspective to it because you don't really have a strong relationship with anime and, and really a strong relationship with Ghost in the Shell either, which I think is also important. I think most of the people who spoke the loudest about this have like a really intense relationship with Ghost in the Shell and were angry about a lot of different things. Yeah, like, well, I remember the, the uproar over how different the story was from you know, the, the anime and yeah, I'm fine with changing elements of the story. If, if it serves a live action production, like if there are things that just don't communicate from one medium to another, absolutely change it. Um, Mm -hmm. and in fact, you could argue that it's kind of like cover songs. If you record a version that's exactly like the original why don't I just listen to the original? Why am I wasting my time? Yeah, like I'm not, I don't care, you know, do something different. So I don't, I don't mind if, if you change the plot, but if you make stupid decisions, like making her the revolutionary (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) whose, whose brain they take to, to be their, their corporate slave bot, um, that, that was kind of dumb. And then overall, I just have a really bad taste in my mouth about not casting an Asian person, you know, right. At least being open to taking that as your approach. Yeah. Which doesn't ever seem to have even been in the, in the discussion, which is just, that's surprising. Like if you, if you did this huge search and you found all these different actresses and then you settled on Scarlett Johansson and were like, this is the one that's one thing, but it it really does feel like they sold the film 
knowing that Scarlett Johansson would be in it. And even even like just saying that, like, well, we gotta we gotta make this like a big billing. We gotta we gotta make it a big deal. And the only way to do that is to put a famous person. Like, surely you could find one person, one <laughs> actress who is Asian American to put in this role. Like that, and that's tragic that Hollywood couldn't think of one person. <laughs> Even though, like, no. I can think of a bunch. I mean, it, it, a lot of sure. them are, are much older, but I, I can think of a bunch of women that I would have loved to see in this role. And it's sure. tragic that they couldn't couldn't think of of even one. Well, I mean, I I don't want to rain on your parade, but supposedly the person who was in the running before Scarlett Johansson was Marco Robbie, which I can't even. Holy shit. What I know. what is wrong with people? She I did just, she ugh. did Suicide Squad instead. That's why they had to cast Scarlett Johansson. I mean, I'm like I'm not happy about Margo that Robbie's either. <laughs> I know, right? It's like, well, that's also a bad choice. Two bowls of shit. The only difference is the smell. It's just <laughs> I mean, like, and that's not to say I like Margot Robbie as an actress. I think she's she's quite good. I Tanya, you know, and and Harley Quinn. Her take on that is very fun, but she, I don't think she would have been good in this part either. You know, it's no. it's just so strange um it's so you know it it's just such a deeply flawed film i i think it's telling that both the critic reviews and and the audience reviews are basically like almost right at 50 percent. like it's just a it's a coin flip as to whether or not you're gonna like this thing yeah it's it's literally like how bored are you <laughs> yeah like what what kind of time frame do you have here is it thursday night you having trouble sleeping <laughs> Try Ghost in and the Show. <laughs> the, uh, I mean, the other thing that really bothers me, so Michael Pitt um, plays Kuze, the puppet master, you know, the, the guy they're chasing, who it's, it's very quickly revealed is, is a, I mean, he's a villain. He's doing bad things, I guess. But he obviously has, like, these strong moral reasons for doing what he's doing. And that's really made clear super early, to the point that you know that he's not going to be, like, the, the ultimate villain of the film. But the the whole reveal of his connection to Major, mm. he's got a tattoo on his peck <laughs> of the like burning building that she keeps seeing glitches from. Yeah, and I was like, okay, okay, all right, all right mm. I guess, because he's a robot man, right? Like he's supposed to be like an earlier revision of the project that created major that got messed up. And so they tried to dispose of him and it didn't work or he escaped or something, which again, seems very unlikely in a world that's highly regulated. And and like, we're basically told that this entire world is under surveillance 100% of the time. And I realize he's like a special robot man who can control things, but it still just seems highly unlikely that he would just kind of like escape, but he does. And, and so like, it's just so awkward. It's just such an <laughs> awkward way to reveal these ties. So because because for him to have the tattoo, he would have had to get it later. So he only has like four or five like skin plates left on his body. <laughs> right? Because he's mostly just robot underneath. Um, which is, looks good. I mean, it's a nice effect. But then on the like few skin parts he has, he actually took time out of his busy, you know, cyber destruction plan to go and get a tattoo of this little building on his peck as a memento, I guess to remember, but 
does he have a full memory of the event? Is he also seeing glitches? Because he doesn't seem to fully understand what that context is either. It, I again, I've watched this movie a lot, and so <laughs> I'm looking at this film and going like, but what a what. Well, why would he do that? Who? What would be the motivation to go and have that done? And if he did have it done, would that be able to be tracked? Would he go to this like a regular tattoo parlor? <laughs> did he tattoo himself? Did he just like show up at a shop and be like, I need a tattoo of a burning shrine? <laughs> and they were like, oh, cool, man. Cool, weird cybernetic man that only has five skin plates. Yeah, we'll put a put a tattoo on that for him. <laughs> That's the kind of stuff that just keeps me awake at night. It really does. Um, but know, so it's revealed that they, that Kuze and um, Mira uh, had a, uh, they were, they were lovers. They were, they were in a relationship with each other and they just so happened to be the two most successful versions of this project. Wow. Um, yeah. What a, <laughs> what a quinky dink. <laughs> what a strange coincidence. Um, so, I mean, like part of the thing that does happen here that is a, a big part of, of the eventual, you know, place where things go in the anime is that Kuze disperses himself into the network, right? Like that's kind of his, his ultimate goal is to break outside of the, the break the restrictions and then just get into the, the universe. And that eventually is like something that major does like the film, the, the, the show really goes full transhuman and she also sort of leaves because the name of the film is ghost in the shell, which is supposed to be soul and body, right? It's like mm -hmm. you were a, you are a ghost, like who you are inside of a shell. And so the major used to be one thing. Her ghost was placed into another thing. And so it's a, it's an examination of, okay, well, can you still be yourself? Even if you're being shifted, does the soul transcend the body? Totally. Okay. So like, you know, question. all that, all that ancient philosophy that you hated reading in college, guess what? This right? is what it all it's, is about. It's all about, right? <laughs> and that's really, right, that's is, that's a lot of cyberpunk in a nutshell. Like, human yeah, condition I mean, it's basically, questions. It's, it's basically all existentialism versus essentialism, yeah. right? Like, what makes a thing a thing? What gives it its essential properties? If it has those essential properties, is it that thing? You know, like, it's, and those are cool ideas. And this movie has no idea what to do with them. Yeah. <laughs> right? It's sort of, it's like, because you, when you took that philosophy class in college, there was a dude with like a backwards baseball hat in the back who was, you know, drawing boobs on his notebook. Or asleep. This movie, this movie was made by that guy. Yeah. <laughs> he was present for those discussions. He was maybe half listening and then maybe next to the boobs that he drew, he wrote down existentialism, bro. And, and that's the extent yeah. of what he got out of that class. Um, and maybe he had like the flash when he saw the second matrix movie and hated it and his trench coat was really sweaty. He, maybe he had the flash back to that philosophy class and was like, I, we, did we talk about that? Like, but that's the dude that made this movie. And as a result, it has no sort of like strong philosophical arc through it. Now I'm not going to necessarily place that blame on Sanders. I mean, ultimately he's the guy that, that assembled the film. But I think it's just one of those those things where there was a huge push and pull throughout the entire process of making this film of how deep do they want to go with that stuff. And the problem is, if you take that stuff away from Ghost in the Shell, there's really not a lot of additional stuff there. You know, I mean, and I, I don't mean that as an insult. It's just that's kind of what Ghost in the that's, Shell is about. That's the central, you know, conceit 
of the thing. Yeah, and they just it's the title. missed it. <laughs> it's literally the title. Like, that's it. <laughs> like if you want to know what it's about, they tell you before they you tell even you. watch it. It's on the box. <laughs> and 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 you you know you've got the scenes at the beginning with Juliette Binoche. She's, she's like, no, it's just your ghost. He's in the shell. You know, says, you know, like they say it. You get it. <laughs> like, That's it. You know, yeah. Da, da, da. Ding, ding, ding. We said the movie title. Woohoo. Uh, but then that's it. You know, they just, the, all of the other explorations of it are just backgrounded. And it, it's there. Like you can tell that there were scenes shot with the intent of backboning that idea or those sets of ideas. But then in the final version of this film that we got, that stuff does not get any time and and instead we get like this weird change to her background and and a lot of time not really it's just a misuse of screen time that's really what it is just the time that we actually spend in this unfortunately relatively short film it's not developing anything right it's not spent in in good ways and at the end of the day that's kind of the filmmaker's responsibility is I've got this much time. I have this much space. I have this much energy. What can I do with it? And then, you know, this is what we get. So the nice thing is Ghost in the Shell still exists. Mm-hmm. And if you want to really watch a good version of this story that sort of has all of these cool ideas in it, then you go watch that. And right? it's and even you will shorter. Be very, very happy. <laughs> it is. It is. Because animation's expensive, baby. <laughs> and uh, we're gonna we're gonna try and get that down. Um but, you but know this what? also exists. And it's interesting. But intriguing. you know what I really liked, though? Michael Wincott. Michael Wincott was in this movie for yeah. about 40 seconds in the beginning. 40 seconds. And yeah. it was the best 40 seconds because he's just a he's treasure. Just got that voice. He's, he's such a treasure. And I'm so happy when I see him. Um, I was very sad. While my daughter was eating breakfast, she was learning French. But. <laughs> But he was in the movie, and I'm really glad about he that. He was. It's always good to see him. And yeah. I, I, yeah. Top dollar, it's right there. Top dollar, coming back, enjoying life, drinking some <laughs> some sake. Um. So if you, I guess what it comes down to, we don't we don't have to continue belaboring the point. Uh, if you didn't know, corporations are bad. Um, the soul is a complicated thing. Is your ghost? And 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 your when we get robots, shell. <laughs> and when we get robots. We are so screwed. <laughs> we are just, we're done. Because uh, we are going to yeah. 100% fuck that shit up real bad. Yeah. If we have it already, we're definitely going to. I'm pretty to. sure we have. <laughs> we, yeah, we're there. Um, once the Tesla cars take over and start just ramming into people <laughs> on the street of their own will. Um, yeah, we're we're doomed. Uh, that is the That is the secret story of all cyberpunk we're just doomed yeah, no. um anyway no. but if you want to enjoy that those feelings this this movie exists for you uh there is a cool spider tank fight at the end scarlett johansson is in a she's in a skin tight thing for she a lot of this so arms off. Into that, that was cool. she does that was rips cool them that was right neat. off that was fun <laughs> um julia binoche you know is in it she's really good yeah beat takeshi doesn't really get a chance to be good, but he does shoot a bunch of guys in one scene with He's a briefcase. He's really that's excited good. about that craft surfaces table. <laughs> <laughs> they must have had some world class sushi <laughs> available for him. That's that's the only way he stayed. Um, 
but yeah, so I, I find this movie watchable. It is short, which I think helps. You yeah. know, it's not like a huge time investment to sit down and, and kind of go through it. Um, but it's for a property that's this exciting or, or potentially exciting, I should say, it's a surprisingly bland affair. Yeah. But there are moments and flashes of awesomeness throughout it, which I think do give it some merit. Um, and it's possible, you know, if you're not necessarily looking for those deeper philosophical ideas, if you're just kind of going in, you know, hey, I just I want something you know visually interesting, a sort of robot action film, you know, a la Robocop. Then, uh, you know, I think there's stuff here, you know, you, yeah. you might fall on that heads up coin flip where you're like, yeah, that was pretty good. Um, but the fact that things like Robocop exist only serve to damage this film because Robocop gets to have cool action, but it also does have interesting sort of philosophical underpinnings about who I am. Like granted, those are in the hands of Paul Verhoeven, who is very cynical and, and the sort of, but the movie still, master it still that, stops to develop those ideas. And, does. and yes, this doesn't drop them. This movie just kind of, it stops. I mean, it does stop a lot, but it more stops to marvel at how good it looks. Yes. The thing, and the, the one thing that, you know, stuff like RoboCop that you can take away from is that it doesn't take that much time on screen to develop these ideas, right? No. You know, you think about the end of RoboCop and that short sequence where he's trying to get his targeting sensors back online and he's shooting the baby food, yeah. right? And the sort of quiet moment between him and Lewis and like the mournfulness in Weller's performance there. I mean, it's a short scene. It's a minute and a half. When he just calls out, once. they'll fix you, my heart. They'll every fix time. you. They'll fix it's, you. Like, what? The? You know, like, it's it's this sort of simplistic understanding of this thing and how it works. But yet it's grounded in all of this gravitas as he realizes that there is, there are some benefits to it. Like, it's, it's brilliant. And that's yeah. what I think this story in the hands of a, better filmmaker who understands that you you don't have to linger on Scarlett Johansson's face for 90 seconds to communicate an emotion right there are other ways to get that done but yet that is not handled well here yeah and and it's it just doesn't have that weight unfortunately and that I think is is a real it's a real sad thing. It's a real disappointment because this is a property that I think a lot of people could have gotten into. I mean, movie studios have been chasing the matrix. I mean, the matrix has been chasing the matrix <laughs> since the matrix. And this, this is a property that because it was so influential to that, it could have found that audience and could have had that sort of explosive cultural impact. But it's, it is quite literally a shadow of a thing, right? Yeah. It's, it's a shadow that's, you know, there's, I don't know. It just it's it's stuck in the shadow of greater properties. It's and, and as it's a result, it's sadly can't stuck in the shadow of itself. Because of ultimately itself, yeah. the idea was best articulated in the animated film. Right. And the many, many additional animated stuff if you want to do that. Yeah. Um, but if you want to see, you know, some live action representations of cool anime motorcycles and stuff. And who doesn't? It, who doesn't? We all right? love a good I mean, motorcycle. This movie has that, and there are some sort of spectacular visuals to back it up, which, again, is one of our criteria for what makes a movie worthwhile. Like, does it, is it showing you stuff that you've maybe never seen before? Maybe. Yeah, so maybe it's worthwhile. I mean, that's kind of what movies are, to do, are, are supposed to do. The problem is that a lot of the really spectacular visuals in this were also in the anime. 
Yeah. So if you're just not an anime, I guess that would be the real recommendation. If you are interested in stories like this, but you are not an anime person at all, like you cannot engage with that at any level, which I completely understand, then this would be a kind of neat way for you to sort of at least touch upon it and see some of those things. And and maybe that would have some value. Um, but ultimately, I think it's it's not a failure piece. It's not a hidden treasure or anything like that. I think it probably will get a reassessment at some point. Like, I don't think that's happened yet because it it really does make a lot of just wrongheaded decisions, just boneheaded kind of like, why? Why are you doing this sort of moments? But I, I think at some point there will be people who rediscover it and say, oh, you know, it's got some merit. I um, think that, you know, that the, the think pieces on medium are coming in a couple of years kind of thing. And I think it will probably be on the, the tail of maybe another reimagining of this, hopefully mm. with an Asian person in the lead. Yeah, totally. I, I think that's the logical place to go. If, if ghost in the shell is not dead as a property in Hollywood, if, if a studio is willing to take another gamble on it, which again, just lower the budget, you guys, like yeah. you don't, you don't have to throw this much money at these stories. Like, I understand, like, I mean, I, I understand why you would. And and I certainly, you can see that money on screen. You can, but you can tell this story for 50 million or 40 million. Like you can do that. You keep it practical. You, you have like maybe one shot of her with her like skeletal armature and stuff. You can get around it. I mean, James Cameron made Terminator for nothing. And it has a lot of that same stuff in it. You know, the, the, my arm got blown off scene, the, the mechanics inside the skin scene. Like you can do that stuff for less, but it just seemed like somebody was willing to throw money at the problem instead of figure out good, solid solutions to try and solve the issues with the story. Yeah. And, and you can feel it. So, so a, a sort of middle of the road recommendation for me. Uh, I, I like it. I find it pretty watchable. Um, I think it's got some merit to it for in a couple of different areas, some good performances, but I did, this is not a universal recommend. I, I cannot do that because it's just such a flawed film. So in many ways, it's kind of like, you know, our discussion of alien three last week. It's, it's a watchable mess. It is a mess. Like a there's total mess. You can get something out of it. You can get something out of it, but not much. Um, <laughs> right. It, it, you've got to keep those expectations tempered. Just just take you know take the volume knob and just dial it down just this is like a 2.3 i guess right um but yeah in any case uh, i think ghost in the shell will go down as a sort of unfortunate bomb slash failure that could have launched something really unique in the hollywood landscape but the lack of an understanding of where it fits within culture and trying to sort of shoehorn it into this other thing, I think sort of ruins it from the get go. I agree. In some unfortunate ways. It makes some cool things. I like that. Everybody's just kind of talking their own language. Like I, I really do enjoy that. I like that, you know, you know, there's Japanese and, and other languages just kind of being tossed around. I think, I think that's cool. There weren't a lot of movies doing that kind of stuff at this time, but it, it's just all kind of in service of a, a bit of nothing. Right. Like yeah. it just kind of bounces off. But sometimes I like that. Sometimes I like a movie that is not challenging me. And this movie definitely does not challenge you. Um, and I kind of sometimes I'm fine with that. You know, it's it's good background entertainment. It's the reason why I might watch Alien versus Predator. This is just nothing. 
it's light and fluffy and kind of stupid and I don't really have to pay close attention. Yeah. That's nice. Yeah. I can be looking at my phone and be fine. That's really cool. (laughs) (laughs) This is a good, maybe that's our rating scale that we've, we've stumbled upon. This is a good do wordle on your phone film. (laughs) (laughs) Get through the daily wordle while watching ghost in the shell. Um, so again, some interesting stuff here. Uh, so I would say go seek out the original anime, which is not hard to do. It's everywhere. Um, go seek out the original anime. If you really want a sort of deep understanding of, of a cool cyberpunk story with a a sort of cybernetic super assassin at the center of it. And if you're not an anime person, but you'd still kind of like to see that story, then this film is a much lesser alternative. At the same time though, I'm not an anime person and I, I, very much rather enjoyed the anime for Ghost right. in the Shell, especially compared to something like this. Yes. So but it is the superior version. Yeah. For lots of reasons, for sure. All right. Well, uh, if people want to find you on the internet and yell at you about um, how wrong we are, which this is never going <laughs> to happen. That's not going to happen. Uh, how, if anything, someone's going to yell at me because I don't like enough anime. And they're going to say, you don't like I'm going to, I'm going to yeah. make you my project. Right. By the end the of this, anime recommendations you're going to love coming. it. Yep. <laughs> right. So you just need to watch these 375 hours of anime oh. and then you will finally understand. <laughs> If you can make it through these 17 series in the next month, I think you're really going to have a better understanding. Come at me uh, no. on Twitter at Baskinator with your anime recommendations. That's right. Oh, no. What have we done? Um, and you can give me your anime recommendations at T Baskin, or you can get us at FP Theater, and you can email us at failurepiece at gmail.com. Uh, well, thanks for listening. We will be back next time with another cinematic train wreck of epic proportions and a discussion of whether or not it's still worth your time. See you then. Bye bye.